Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. We Did you miss us? We survived the trip to Chicago. There was gunfire. There was. Down, we were not involved. It was, no. down, it was down a block. Well, there was gunfire on the tour that we were on, too, but it was fake. Yeah, no, there was real gunfire down the block from us Sunday morning. There was. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was. There was a but we slept mess. through all of it. Yeah, we didn't We didn't know that what was going on. Because as was proven in, in the Blues Brothers, when the question is asked if, in, in, about your hotel in Chicago of how often a train goes by, so often you hardly notice, actually does become true. We weren't next to the train. Yeah, we were. We were? Yes, I it ran under no- the it ran under the street. Remember, we had that discussion. Well, yeah, but I never noticed the train. So the other did go by so often, I hardly noticed. See? But what the truth was is that we were so close to the fire station that they went by at such a rate that I hardly noticed. Yeah, well, there was that too. <laughs> so one of the things that we and we were going to watch it this year. We had pl- we had talked about it and we missed it because we went to Chicago. Was Lamont? Yes. A lot of stuff happened at Lamont, but the most notable thing, at least for us and, and what we watch and what happens here, is so the Toyota team, they were the favorites to win this year. Qualifying, they set a record-setting pole lap. Wow. They were leading for a good chunk of it. Um, they were expected at the very least to win the LMP1 uh, category. Um, they won the first two rounds of the World Endurance Championship before Le Mans. Things were looking like they were going to go Toyota, Toyota's way. Um, with about 14 hours to go, things got bad. Uh-oh. So the number seven car, which was driven uh, for a stop with more than 14 hours left in the race, Kamui Kobayashi. Yes, that Kamui Kobayashi was at the wheel. For those of you who... Um are new to Formula One. He is a prior Formula One driver and highly popular driver inside his home country of Japan. Yeah. Well, he was pitting under a safety car about 10 hours into the race, 14 hours left. Getting ready to pull out, a driver from another team ran up to the car while it was on pit row and gave it a thumbs up, which Kamui, which the driver... Uh, said was to show his encouragement to the leading car. The problem was the driver's racing suit looked I- almost identical to what the marshals wear on the pit road. Kamui took that as a go sign, and he went. Uh-oh. He wasn't supposed to go yet. Um, so they yelled at him on the radio, um, tried to get him to stop. There were a couple. There were multiple starts and stops through this whole thing, but this put a lot of pressure on the clutch that the clutch was not designed to handle. So car gets finally gets out onto the track, um, finish up under the safety car. He goes to take off, and boom, the clutch explodes. That's the end of the race for the car. Oh. Yeah. Now, Kamui is a heck of a nice guy. Do you think he's a little angry at the thumbs-up guy? Um, well, this was Vincent Capillaire. Um there was a lot of people who were upset at Vincent over this. He put a statement on, on Facebook about what happened. Um, he said it was a spontaneous encouragement mark as it happened between pilots. I was fined by the stewards for this gesture, and I admit it was inopportune. I regret that. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry, Kamui. Maybe next year. 
Well, that that's the the hope for Toyota. Um, that dropped them all the way back to 54th place because Ooh. of when they retired. Now, the actual winner, Porsche, again, with their LMP car, they had dropped all the way back to 56 at one point mm. and clawed their way back to win. Wow. Well, that's what, you know, we talk about in Formula One all the time about if you just had a few more laps, you could have made it. That's what 24 hours of laps will get you is the possibility to go from 56th to first. Well, it was and, – and I don't completely get how the whole thing was supposed to work. Over on the LMP2 category, the leading two teams were owned by, of all people, Jackie Chan. Yes, that Jackie Chan. That Jackie Chan. The guy who does all his stunt, own stunts. That Jackie Chan. He owns both of those teams. At one point, it looked like one of those teams was going to win the whole thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Jackie Chan, the only person that would fall in a Chuck Norris-Jackie Chan fight? Yes, that Jackie Chan. Got it. So moving on to other things. As we have mentioned, despite what many people think of Bernie Eccleston, he has a lot of fans. He does? Yes, I mean, they made a whole puppet out of him. Well, yeah, they made a whole puppet out of him, but uh, a lot of the older, former team principals and team owners, Flavio Briatore is known as a big fan of um, Bernie Eccleston, as is Max Mosley. And, and, you know, he's got his cronies in the world. I I believe Stefano Domenicali was another one who is, is, is known to be a big Bernie fan. Well, and also keep in mind, a lot of those people were around when Bernie basically saved the sport with the commercial rights and doing a lot of things that were cutting edge at the time. So as much as we diss on Bernie, we diss on modern Bernie, not revolutionary Bernie of 25 years ago. Well, to celebrate Bernie's accomplishments, and there have been a lot, admittedly, there really have been. The Goodwood Festival of Speed, which is a big motorsports event in England every year, um, they are going to be celebrating his career. Now, normally what happens at the Goodwood Festival of Speed is there is a mark, a, a car brand that is the marquee brand of the year for the event. That's not happening this year. It will be the It Eccleston? is Bernie Eccleston. He's the marquee brand. He is. Now, one of the things that's done is on, because this is on a manor. It, it's an estate. It's a royal estate that this this whole event is on. On the front lawn of the, the, the estate, there's normally this five-story sculpture that is part of this celebration of whatever the, the marquee brand is of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they've gone and they've put on this five-story structure all kinds of cars hanging from it and things like that. But instead, it's going to be um, a, the sculpture will celebrate the five ages of Eccleston. Oh my! So I, I'm I'm very interested in what the the picture will be, but apparently this is the first time that the Goodwood Festival of Speed has, instead of naming a marquee brand, has chosen to celebrate the life of a person. Wow, that's living or deep. dead. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, this is a really big event. For I mean, I know most Americans is like, okay, I've never heard of this, but it's a really big deal. This event, it, it's um, 
you get a lot of the Formula One drivers and Formula team Formula One teams bring out their heritage cars and have all kinds of folks drive the the Goodwood Hill climb, all kinds of sports cars and period cars and antique cars. Folks go to this and they dress in period attire for whatever brand was was considered. I mean, it, it's a big deal. There's probably a couple hundred thousand people that go to this event. Speaking of period attire, okay, have you told our listening public what we saw when we were in Chicago? That is an F1 connection. We made an F1 connection in Chicago. Well, if you followed our Facebook page, you would have seen it. Patricia discovered. I posted. But Patricia discovered. I found it. That's what did, did I not just say you discovered? I just wanted you know to emphasize it. I was underlining it. In on display in of all places the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago, the racing helmet of one Juan Manuel Fangio. Exactly. Which is truthfully a glorified polo helmet. <laughs> well, as was you know, remember that safety gear, as we like to say in ye olden days, was a leather helmet and a handlebar mustache. Exactly. That's it. I mean, it, it got, maybe goggles. Well, there were definitely goggles because the uh, oil came off the engine yes. in such a way that you had to have goggles to see. But you know, they upgraded the safety features when what's his face tape duct taped a spanner to a steering wheel because he couldn't get out one time when he crashed. Oh, um, sir. Oh, see, you had to do this right now when I wasn't thinking about it. I'm sorry. Go look it up. It's a pop quiz later. We, we've discussed it before. Anyway. going Moving back to... Back to Formula One and the current things and Bernie not being around. One of the things that Bernie would never, ever, ever do, and he probably, when this occurred once again, he probably has a crate of vases. That he can break. That he just picks up and flings at a wall. <laughs> when this happened, he probably grabbed a vase and flung it at a wall. Ooh. Now, since Bernie's an old man, it may have just bounced, or he flew, flung it towards the wall. It may not have actually hit the wall, but. but no, Bernie's rich enough, he would have hired someone to throw the vase for that's him. That's what it was. Well, either that or he, he hired somebody that he could smash the vase on. Possibly. Run that around. Formula One posted in the run-up to the Montreal Grand Prix for the first time ever video of the driver's meeting prior to a race. Now, this was the driver's meeting from Monaco. Okay, so it was a race old, Mm -hmm. but it gave a window into what those driver's meetings are. Yeah. Beyond the Hollywoodized version of the driver's meeting on James Hunt, Hunt and Nikki Lauda. But but the reality is, and, and you, you're talking about... Um, Rush. Yes, the movie Rush, where the, going into Suzuka, there was the driver's meeting and the, the con, con, complaints about the, the race conditions and stuff like that. And I think Monza was another one they showed it. And the reality is, in watching the video... That's kind of what it's like. Was it? Yeah. That's they, awesome that they did it right. Yeah. There, there were a lot of discussions. First off, uh, because that was the immediate race after Spain, there were discussions about the decision to not give Lewis a penalty for the corner that he cut at turn one and why that decision was made. And, all, and, and, and Charlie Whiting leads the meeting with all the drivers adding comment and being pretty frank 
in the conversation. And then there were concerns regarding the height of curbs at a couple of corners. And there was a lot of discussion and back and forth between several drivers, Max Verstappen, Felipe Massa, and others regarding whether or not the curbs are the same as they were in previous years. Are they higher? You know, Charlie explaining that they're the same height as in this other turn. And they're like, yeah, but that's a slower speed turn, so it has a different impact. And uh, it was a really neat insight. Now, this wasn't the full meeting. It was edited down to about three and a half minutes. But it, it was pretty cool to get that insight into what goes on at these. I love the fact that Liberty is starting to pull back the curtain. There's been another thing that I've noticed. Um, the fact that they've shared a driver's meeting, even snippets, the highlights of a driver's meeting, to be able to see what these people are doing so it's not just the public like stage show. But the other thing I've noticed is that the driver's interviews post-qualifying, mm-hmm. they're doing it in the garages or at a turn in front of fans. They're publicizing that piece much more than putting them in a press room away from everybody. They're having a different conversation. They're having another set of questions asked to the drivers in the same format that they did after a race on the podium. But now they're doing it at the qualifying. I think that's pretty cool and very relaxed and just humanizing the people. It does, but there's some concern here. Now, this is a three-and-a-half-minute video. Um, It has been one of the most popular pieces of content that F1 has put out for the Montreal weekend. I'm I'm guessing the raft race was probably the (laughs) other one that was right up there. Um, But there's no plans at present to do it again. Mm. Now, this could be reconsidered. One of the issues that they've got is there's concerns that this could make this could change the nature of the meeting. Um, you know, grandstanding you, for the cameras. Some of it is grandstanding, and some of it is that um, either the drivers or the FIA might be reluctant to speak candidly about important safety and sporting issues because the comments would be public at that point. You know, if word gets out that a driver in particular is complaining at every race about some safety feature that could impact how the drivers perceived Mm. or if the drivers in general come out a certain way that could impact just in it could undermine the drivers in general well i'm of the opinion that i don't think every driver's meeting should be public okay i i think much like some of the radio calls that somebody gets to edit it down or you open, you pull back the curtain every so often, like something happens that might be interesting in a driver's meeting. But, you know, I don't want to hear all the ins and outs of curbs for every, every track everywhere. You know, to see it every so often, to get a peek behind the curtain, that's fine. If it became a thing full time, I would get bored with it quickly. Now... Asking Felipe Massa, and Felipe was quite, had quite a bit to say in this video, asking him about his opinion of whether or not they should open up more or, any, or if that could change the nature of the meetings. Felipe said, I don't care, to be honest. I am there to try to do the best for F1 and say what I think is not right or something that I think needs to be better about the rules or about so many other things. For me, it is not a problem. Maybe another good thing to have would be to open some other secrets like the fuel in the car. 
So every time you go out of the garage, everyone knows your fuel level. We don't need so many secrets. In qualifying, every knows, everybody knows that everybody has low fuel, so why be secret? All the time the teams need all the times all the time the teams more or less know what the other cars are using, so it needs to be more clear. No secrets. Wow. See, I disagree with Masa on that because I know that like in practices and stuff, it makes a big difference because there's some psychological things that are happening in practices. You know, they might want to show the speed of the car so they'll lighten it up and do some fast laps and then load it down with fuel and things like that. That's part of the psychology of the game. And, uh, you know, it goes back to what we talk about in winter testing. You can never tell what they're testing because you don't know what they're testing. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little Honda, shall we? I'm assuming that you're talking about their consumer cars because nothing that they're doing in F1 is worth talking about. Well, as you recall, before we went went on our break and before Montreal, we heard from Zach Brown saying that this isn't good enough, and and they took Honda to task pretty hard, mm-hmm. made it clear to everybody that they are not happy. But we didn't get a response from Honda. Okay. Well, now we have a response from Honda. Okay. Honda says, it is unfortunate, and this is coming from uh, Honda's Formula One chief, Yasuki Hasegawa, who Honda is saying, we back 100%. We have no plans to replace him at this time. He says, it is unfortunate. I can't convince them we are going in the right direction, but I am confident we are not lost. We still need some more time, but we are doing the right thing. We are doing many things to speed up our development, but I don't disclose what. And pushed a little further about the comments that uh, Zach Brown made. He said, I was not surprised. It's no wonder he has complained and he is frustrated. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. The team is disappointed. This is very difficult. Tough situation. Okay. Does that scream to you that Honda is on it and they're making changes and they're fixing it and you should be confident that things are going to happen? No. Okay. (laughs) At this point, I think all of McLaren has become from Missouri. Show me. Stop talking about it. Show me. Well, again, looking back at Montreal and what happened, it, it actually looked like we were going to get, I don't, I don't want to say a decent performance. How, how about a not embarrassing performance from the Honda engine? Okay. Fernando Alonso was in line to get the team's first point. Race seven, mm-hmm. first point for McLaren. Yeah, no, that's not embarrassing at all. No, no, no not embarrassing. Sauber has more points than McLaren does. That's not embarrassing either. With last year's engine. But he is on track. He is looking to get the team's first point. And seven laps before the end of the race, guess what happens? Oh, wait, wait, let me guess. Um, They had no issues with their engine, and it sailed through those last seven laps without an incident. I was thinking that, like, all of a sudden it found more power and it it, launched itself to a podium finish. No? Well... Something launched itself in that car. Oh, let me guess. The engine was left about three blocks behind (laughs) where the car was? Yeah. (sighs) So 
after that event, we got some comments from Captain Obvious. I mean, Eric Bouillet. Ah. Who said that this wasn't good enough. Okay, so wait. <laughs> Let me just review for a minute. <laughs> this was not I'm good. I'm sorry, it was three laps, not seven laps. This was not good enough. So the fact that Honda has improved their reliability to get within three laps of the end of the race is not a significant enough improvement considering they started with not being able to get out of the first lap of the race. I mean, think about the amount of improvement we've had here. <laughs> You're saying that yet again, losing out on points is not good enough. Well, what, Eric had to say. He said, for the first time this season, running in 10th place within spitting distance of the flag, we dared to hope. Okay, what we were daring to hope for were hardly rich pickings. A solitary world championship point for Fernando, who had driven superbly all afternoon, as he's driven superbly every race day afternoon for the past two and a half years. But after so much toil and heartache, even that single point would have felt like a victory. And then came yet another gut-wrenching failure. It's difficult to find the right words to express our disappointment, our frustration, and yes, our sadness. So I'll say only this. It's simply and absolutely not good enough. Um, so I'm getting a sense, and you know, I know that it's really buried under um, polite communication and positive team speak words and and you know there's there's political nuance to what Eric Boulier is saying but I'm getting a sense and then you correct me if I'm wrong that he might be slightly not happy <laughs> you think I'm thinking he doesn't want his Honda engine any longer I'm thinking that if Honda had had a raft in the raft race, McLaren might have tried to sink it. Also possible. Also possible. Now, can we take a little moment and talk about some of the things that Eddie Jordan talked about? Not yet. Oh, okay. We're, 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 we're not yet to the Eddie Jordan Bomb point shells. of the show. Yeah. We've got, we've got a bit to go before we get there. First, we have to talk about Danny Kvyat. Danny? Yes. He was not particularly happy with the stewarding that occurred in Montreal. Oh. What so, did the stewards do to him in Montreal? Because I don't recall him being, like, front and center. Well, yeah, let's go through it, and then you tell me what you think. So Danny's car failed to get away at the start of the Montreal formation lap, as you'll recall. Um, but he then, where he, he broke the rules was... Regulations say if he didn't get away at the start, you're supposed to start from the pit lane. However, he reclaimed his 11th position on the grid. Okay. So the rules only permit a driver slow away to return to their grid slot if they can recover all the positions by the first safety car line. Otherwise, they must start from the pit lane. So as a result of this, Kvyat was initially given a drive-through penalty, but the stewards later announced it should have been a 10-second stop-go penalty. So they gave him that one, too. You can't give him both. <laughs> they gave him both. Okay, that's wrong. You picked a penalty. You didn't like the penalty. 
Yeah, Franz Toast said that Kvyat was only prevented from overtaking all the cars because as all the drivers used the complete width of the track to warm up their tires, it was difficult for Daniel to overtake them in order to get back to his position without taking any risk, and that it was too late for him to go into the pit lane. Kvyat went further. He said, they have a job to do which is not so difficult, in my opinion, and they cannot do the job properly. They were clearly sleeping today in their office, so maybe they needed some coffee there. They should cancel this stupid rule. Who is this rule for? Are we taxi drivers here or Formula One drivers? Okay, Daniel, I think that's a bridge too far. Well, once again, we reach the point in the season where Daniel Kvyat finds ways to not help his Formula One career. Truth. Truth. Those words would be one way. Uh-oh, there's a second way coming. The other would be for for um, reports to come out and, and Daniel to say that he is unsure if he wants to continue to collaborate with Carlos Sainz Jr. on track anymore after they disagreed on slipstreaming tactics in Canada. His argument, or, or what the claim is, is that there was an agreed-upon plan for folks getting the tow, riding mm-hmm. the slipstream, and first one was supposed to do it and then the other was supposed to do it. But when it was Danny's turn, Carlo, he says that Carlos didn't do that. Uh, oh. So as a result, Danny's a little ticked. Yeah, I think he was in an interview this week um, in the lead up to Baku saying he wasn't going to play nice with his teammate anymore. Yeah. He was taking his toys and going home. Yeah, so we'll see how that works. I mean, if, if you are going to be known and brand yourself as being unwilling to be a team player within Formula One. You better be much better than driving for Toro Rosso. Yeah. Because there's other people that are not team players, but if you're winning, if you're winning races, you cannot be a team player. There's that, and when you have a Pierre Gasly waiting in the wings to take your seat... Maybe, just maybe, you need to watch your step. Exactly. But he's not the only Red Bull or driver in the Red Bull family who's upset. Max was upset over what happened in Montreal as well. Oh, did our toddler have a temper tantrum? Um, Well, he described what happened. Because as you recall, um, he had that great start. Mm -hmm. It was an awesome start only to have his engine blow up. Right. Well, what he said was suddenly, all, and, and this is him talking to the Dutch broadcaster Ziggo Sport. Oh, yes, of course, Ziggo. Yeah, you, you know them. You watch them all the time. Right? I know. Yeah. He said, suddenly all the power was gone. I wanted to go on the throttle and everything shut down, including my dash, so I couldn't even communicate to the team anymore. That's very frustrating when you were in second. The start was great. I think it was the best start that they ever had at Red Bull, so that was good. But in the end, you are still left empty-handed, so that sucks tremendously. I could have finished second or third if things turned out a little bit less for me. Um, When asked about prospects for the team in Azerbaijan at the Super Mario Grand Prix, um, Max replied, I don't care too much. The whole season has already been crap with everything. He's having a temper fit. Throwing his toys out of the pram. Somebody needs to change his diapers. Yeah. Sauber. Sauber. So we're, we're going to start 
around the Montreal time, and then we'll, we'll work our way up. I've only wanted to have this conversation about this story all week, so you take it any way you want to because I'm waiting for the punchline. Okay. So first off, we get uh, news from Sauber that they believe that the updates that they are bringing, now keep in mind, they're only aerodynamic updates and maybe some suspension and chassis stuff, not engine updates because they're not getting any, any updates on their last year's engine because, you know, that was a bright idea. Um, but they say that the upgrades that they are bringing to Austria and Britain should bring a major step forward in performance, and they believe um, could make it a regular midfield runner. Wow. Never mind that they're down on power. So they think that they can arrow overcompensate for their being down on power. Yeah. Okay. Let's see how that works out for you. So then we had some other comments about Monisha Keltenborn saying that F1 has become too technical. This is from Monisha, not about Monisha. No, this is, this is Monisha saying this. What she had to say was, we have in some ways far too technical that even people within the sport do not understand it fully. Do we really need that? No. We are not here in a technical world. Yeah. Technical excellence is part of F1, but it needs to be balanced with other interests as well. Now, I believe that she may have said this speaking into her smartphone, but we're not here in a technical world. My mouth keeps opening <laughs> and slamming shut because at some point there are not words for this. However, I must stop long enough to remind Monisha and all of our listening public that we are not wrong when we say that Formula One is supposed to be the pinnacle of motorsport, correct? Mm -hmm. The point in time where driving excellence and design and engineering excellence cross each other and meet at the top peak of motorsport hmm yeah that's not technical at all i'm sorry i completely misunderstood the whole point of the sport but I here's an, the thing I, I got an email today from or, excuse me not today it, it came um four days ago got from monisha the subject line it was it, it, it everything i i don't think that this came from where it claimed to be it was an anonymous Gmail account, no. as many are. And the subject line was just, you idiots won't have Monisha Kelton born to kick around any longer. Oh. <laughs> well, you see, that's what I was thinking, is because she thinks that this is not a technical game anymore or at all. And guess what? We get the last laugh. Yeah, it seems that uh, Sauber and Monisha Keltenborn have decided to go their separate ways in a disagreement about, as it has been said, um, or diverging views of the future of the company. Oh, one wants it to succeed and the other seems to be hell-bent on not making it succeed? <laughs> yeah, I think those are fundamental differences. Irreconcilable differences. Yeah, I, I'm guessing at some point Longbow said, okay, so we had this engine deal with Ferrari, and their engines are working really well. 
but instead of taking on the good engine, you took on last year's engine that w wasn't performing well. And then instead of going, now that we're giving you this big, big bank account full of money that you could take on the good engine, you went to Honda and said, I want your piece of crap engine. So let's fast forward for a second. <laughs> I just need to know, we're, we were watching the lead up into uh, Quali in the wee hours of this morning. Mm -hmm. And we were obviously watching the Channel 4 coverage, which has actual lead up to the Quali. And one of the statements as they were discussing the Munisha exodus from Sauber, the statement that struck me, and I believe it was Eddie Jordan who said it, was that Monisha was very, very smart. She is a barrister by trade. Yeah. She's very smart, he said. How far did your jaw drop? Because mine hit my knees. I, I believe it was also the NBCSN guys who were saying that she's been great for the sport. And they were praising her as well. And I'm like... What series are you guys watching? See, I mean, I realize, I mean, if you go back in time and go back in the Wayback Machine, when Monisha was originally brought on to Salbor, I was hip hip hooray, we have a female oh, it principal. It was groundbreaking. It was awesome. Then she tried to put four butts in two seats. You know, it, it wasn't even the year she did that. It was the year before that when the team pretty much languished at the bottom of the grid. They have not been the midfield team, the mid-pack team that they should be since she took over. Because she took over in 2012 from Peter Sauber. And that's what I don't understand. How did you take a mid-pack team and make them a back marker? I mean, I mean let, let's look at the number of times that we got announcements from Sauber that she had managed to negotiate a deal with some Russian oligarch that was going to save the team only for everything to magically evaporate months later. Right. And yet... To be turned around and being praised as being so smart and so fabulous for the sport. I could only wish that I could be that incompetent and praised at the same time. <laughs> that is my new dream. Okay. So should we talk a little uh, Reno? Sure. Jolien Palmer. Yes. It... It turns out that the reason why he has not been performing well is that he was distracted by Nico Hulkenberg. All those cars passing him was a distraction? I don't know. I mean, you, you've you seen Nico Hulkenberg. I like Nico Hulkenberg. I'm a Nico fan. Right. Because he's six feet tall. And? He's adorable. Maybe that's what Joe's thinking here. I don't know. <laughs> Okay. I mean, sitting. I mean, they're they're next to each other in the garage and at the the team meetings and stuff. Maybe that's messing with. I don't know. Okay. As much as I think that Nico is impressive to watch, I can't imagine being distracted by him in the car. Well, in qualifying, Julian is on average. 1.189 seconds slower than Nico. 
That's a lifetime. That's the biggest dex- deficit of any teammate on the 2017 grid. And more than that, he's only made Q3 once this year. Wow. Um, what Jolien says, he says, I've got to drive the best I can drive. And whatever happens on the other side, that's another story, really. Nico is doing a really good job. He's extremely quick, especially in qualifying. I've just got to be happy with the job I'm doing, which is to get the most I can out of the car. Previously, maybe I have been guilty of being too distracted and overdriving at times. It's just focusing on what I'm doing and not always looking at the other side of the garage. Ah, so that's what he is doing. He's getting in his own head too much. You know, you've got to beat your teammate, then he overdrives the car, and he doesn't do so well. I don't know. Um, I'm going to suggest that perhaps that means he's not ready for prime time. Well, Renault's feeling. Um, in, in particular, Cyril Abitbull, who's the, the team boss, um, he told Autosport, no one is safe in F1. F1 is not an environment where anyone can say loudly, I'm safe. To a certain degree, there are two questions. There is Joe, and there is a second driver. Right now, my focus is on Joe. Joe has to deliver. What would happen then? I don't want to elaborate on that. And even further, who would be stepping in? Because that's absolutely not the point for today. The fact is that Joe has a car which is a point-scoring car, and he has to enter into the points. Full stop. Right now, I feel that it's a bit almost unfair to Nico, who has to do a lot. The team is clearly very dependent on him. When Nico is out of the game, including for reasons beyond his control, like in Monaco, when he had his gearbox failure, we struggled to finish in the points, despite a number of cars that were also not finishing the race. Wow. Now, if you put that further in perspective, there was the very very high profile test that robert kubica did in a renault formula one car um and a lot of words from robert kubica about that he thinks that he's now ready to come back he did extremely well he was the other person who drove that car was um sergey sorotkin who was the Russian, one of the Russian prodigies that Monisha briefly was supposed to be putting into a seat and didn't. Um, and Kubica handily lapped faster than Sorotkin. Wow. Yeah, a lot of people were impressed by Kubica's form. And before Kubica had his big WRC incident, um, he was pointed out as a rising star in Formula One. Well, here's the thing, and this is this is absolute truth. If there is a driver out there that does not believe that there's not another driver waiting in the wings that's a little bit better or a little bit more ready, I mean, that's what happens. That's what happens to Kvyat when he's sitting there and there's a, a Peter sitting in the wings for him. Pierre, Peter. Pierre Gasly. Pierre. Um, you know, Joe's got to understand that there's somebody sitting in the wings chomping at the bit for his seat. Yeah. Your your world is perform or move out. Well, and and in Joe's position, I don't even think that the risk is so much Kabitza or Sorotkin for that matter. I think it's Esteban Ocon. And if it's not Ocon, it's Roman Grosjean. 
because I think Renault really wants a French driver in there. And I think you're right. I think that's definitely a right thing. Um, it's having the right French driver. And right now, if Renault can put it together that they're doing better on the track, Ocon's the one they think they'll go after because Ocon's the better driver between the two of them right now. Yeah, but the, the question is who has dibs in this case? Does Mercedes have dibs on Ocon? Or does Renault have dibs on Ocon? It's really muddy. Right. Because of the, the, the way those partnerships run between those two companies, it's really muddy. He's been linked to both. Right. And Toto Wolf has a hand, I believe, in managing Ocon. Should be interesting. But while we're talking about Ocon, because I know he doesn't come back up later mm -hmm. in the show, he doesn't, right? No. Can I just make a point? He needs an updated driver photo. Okay. His hair looks so bad, <laughs> and it looks like, you know, a beanie hat. And that's not the way that boy looks. He is far better looking than what his driver photo shows. So that boy needs an updated photo, period. That's my soapbox. Okay. I think his career will be better if he had a better photo. Hey, while we're talking about Renault, Cyril Abitbull says that they're not planning to introduce another major engine upgrade. Ever? Till tr this season. Whoa. Have yeah. they told Christian Horner that yet? Um, yeah, it doesn't seem like they're really in line with that plan. Mm. They were expecting something in Montreal. Now they're expecting something for Baku. Um, there's clearly some reliability issues there. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, Renault's saying that they're not planning on a major upgrade until 2018. That's wild. Yeah. You know, that that's like the Honda timeline at this point. But while we're talking about Force India, Force, word came out this week, and it has been confirmed at least to some point that they are considering. Well, Vijay Mali actually came out and said it outright. Um, there is talk of changing the team's name again. Vijay Malia himself has come out and said that there is a growing feeling that maybe since we are a much improved team in terms of performance and attracting international sponsors and sadly less Indian sponsors, there is a debate as to why the name should not be changed to give it a more international flavor. There are some people who believe the current name Force India is restrictive psychologically. I'm considering along with the other shareholders what steps to take, but it's a major decision and one that is not going to be taken in a hurry without due consideration or a big check. <laughs> More importantly, we have to look at the way the F1 scenario is unfolding, is unfolding under Liberty ownership. If they follow the NFL model, then of course the name becomes even more important because it's a franchise model where the focus is on the name. But the current pattern may continue. These are all issues I'll consider with the other shareholders before arriving at any final conclusion. Interesting. Well, you know, go a little bit further now. You know, this whole concept, the whole team, is Vijay Malia's baby. He came up with this idea as a way to promote India, to get the, the Indian people to unite around a sporting team, and to really build that whole business model, and, oh, to promote his businesses. Right. So in that time, we have truly seen Vijay's financial stylings play out. He is um, under indictment by the Indian government. 
he is, you know, there, there's talk about whether or not he's going to be extradited. His, his passport's been confiscated, so he can't travel. So is that really what's going on here? Well, I think it's, I think it's time for him to consider something different. Well, he said the fact that he is considering a name change has absolutely nothing to do with his current legal situation. The fact the country of India and me are not the best partners is something that has been going on for a few years now. This is nothing new. I haven't in the last few years considered any name change. It's purely to do with current sponsorship, a proposal on the table, and sponsorship going forward for the team. Sure it is, VJ. <laughs> sure it is. You keep telling yourself that, man. So. I'm going to do this story, and then we will talk about it. words from Eddie Jordan. Okay. So word came out this week in Autosport and a couple of other areas that the FIA has been approached over a potential new Formula One team. A new team? A new team. Now, what we know is that an update to Britain's company's house register has revealed the renaming of a business as China F1 Racing Limited. China F1 Racing Team Limited. The company, which had previously been called Bronze Fortune Limited, is run by a French lawyer called Michael Orts, who has competed in sports car racing in Europe and America. Now, there isn't really much known about the plans. However, speaking at the FIA Sport Conference in Geneva this past Wednesday, Jean Todd confirmed that the governing body had been approached by some individuals regarding a future entry. What he said was, there are always rumors, but we have had some interest from some teams. Now, he was asked to give more detail on the number, and Jean said, not many. So it's up to the FIA to choose to open up the tender process to new teams, and Todd said it would only do so if there were serious candidates. When we feel it is time, we will be able to make a tender, he said. At the moment, we have 10 teams, and the idea is to have up to 12 teams. So we have an opportunity. If we have one or two strong newcomers, it could be possible. First, we need to check ourselves the request. It's going through a kind of audit to see who are the potential buyers. If it's a big manufacturer, it's easy. If it's a privateer, you need to be more careful. And then once you are sure that there is a real interest, and once you're sure that people are able, like was the case with Haas, for example, then we will make a tender. Now, he's adamant that it is unrealistic to expect a new team to be put together as soon as 2018. Okay. So we have that word. Now we go ahead to Channel 4's uh, pre-qualifying buildup and some words from Eddie Jordan. Eddie had a lot to say. The first thing that he said, and everybody ran away when, when this happened, but the first thing that he said is they talked to Bob Fernley. Right. And Eddie looked at Bob, and he said, So, why did you guys get a message from Mercedes requesting that you guys take a pit stop in Montreal? And Bob said, um, didn't happen. I, I'm not confirming anything. And Eddie said, no, it really did happen. And Bob said, no, nah, uh -uh, nah, I'm not touching that. Nope. Uh-uh. Nope. That one was on the statements of weird. That yeah. was just weird. Um, it was more of like, did they, did they not? But 
the question becomes, my understanding as they went and talked a little bit more about it is, it is not uncommon for the teams to text each other during the race. Yeah, and that, I mean, as I recall, when there was that great race in Silverstone, I believe there was some texting going back and forth between Toto Wolf and Susie Wolf. Well, that was when they did the fake out. Yeah. They, they brought the team out to uh, look like they were going to do a pit stop. And Susie texted over to Toto and said, did you just do the fake pit stop? Yeah. So, so we know there's texting that happens. Um, I got the impression as we listened to more chit-chat about it was there was nothing wrong with Mercedes requesting Force India to, to go on and pit. Yeah. There is nothing wrong with Force India choosing not to. Listen. Yeah. So that was just an interesting so the other things that, that Eddie had to say, and we did not record them to put them on here, um, mainly because it's a pain to butt to do it off of Channel 4 nowadays. Uh, but as you recall, coming out of Monaco, we had the story about um, Eddie claiming to, I believe it was the German press, that Mercedes was going to sell the team and leave Formula One in 2018, to which Toto responded that Eddie's been drinking too much. Correct. Remember that. We had Eddie and Toto face-to-face to further discuss the situation and explain what was going on. And Eddie provided a bit more information as to where he is getting this from. What Eddie claims is that at the end of 2018, Mercedes' big sponsor, the, the title sponsor of Patronus, is going to leave the sport. And take UBS with them. Yeah, which would take Mercedes' two big sponsors and about $81 million right. away. And because of this, Dieter Zietz, the head of uh, Daimler, has already authorized the sale of the team and that negotiations are currently underway to sell the team with Mercedes leaving the sport entirely at the end of 2018 as a result of losing the sponsors. That's like earth shattering. Eddie then goes on to say that this new company, that that Asia is the... Asian buyers are the lead candidate for buying the company and China F1 Racing Team Limited is the entity that has been created to lead this process and take this bid. However, going toe-to-toe between Eddie Jordan and Toto Wolf, Toto categorically denied everything that Eddie said. Yeah. Everything. Down to the Patronus is not going anywhere. Well, what was odd about it, though, is that before he started with the denials, his first reaction was, it's almost like Eddie's in my office with me. That was really odd. I thought that was really odd, too, especially then to follow up with the categorical denials. Mm Mm-hmm. That was really odd. The other thing that was discussed, and we've heard these rumors flying already, is the question of the possibility 
of McLaren dumping Honda and becoming a Mercedes customer again. Right. Toto was adamant that there have been no agreements to date. However, Eddie also claims that both Toto and Nicky Lauda are categorically and vehemently against supplying McLaren with engines. But that somebody at Mercedes has already, the board of Mercedes has already approved it. Yeah. And this is what I was going to mention earlier. One of the things that they do know and that's supposed to Mm -hmm. be fact now is that in order to prevent having to take on a Mercedes engine, Mercedes has offered up one of their engineers to go help Honda sort their stuff. Yeah, and I think Honda's response was thanks but no thanks. Oh, I thought he was in the pits with... uh... I I don't recall. It was a little confusing as to how... But in a nutshell, Toto has denied that an agreement has been reached to grant or or to give McLaren Mercedes engines for next year. Mm. So we'll see where that plays out. It's going to be fascinating to watch. Now, we've always said that Eddie is rarely wrong, but this is one, but he has been known to be wrong. He he does. I think he's got about a 65 to 70% accuracy rate which for f1 pundits is pretty damn good right right so super mario grand prix yeah since we only watch qualifying i don't have much to say about it well the only thing i was really gonna say about it was watching qualifying really was living up to its name of super mario grand prix the number of spins and take the exit (laughs) rows um apparently there's some issues getting heat in the tires and the shady bits because it's not an all sunny track. Um, so it should lead up to be a fairly interesting race for those that might have already seen it. Um, I hope that it was an enjoyable race. Um, we are going to end this podcast and go see it shortly. So we still have two more stories. We have two more stories. I thought we, have we were two more stories. I thought Eddie was the big finish. I thought he we'd is hit the not the big finish. I thought we, we have the 2018 the calendar. Oh, France is on the calendar. You know, if if you're like us and you just want more races, 21 races with um, three straight weeks of back-to-back-to-back is awesome. If you work for a Formula One team, yeah, you might not be too happy with it. It's going to be exhausting. That schedule is going to be exhausting. Now, if you want to work for a Formula One team and don't have any responsibilities elsewhere, you might want to start to apply because according to Eddie Jordan, with three races back to back to back, they will often have to look at having a second shift. Yeah. And trade off because the thought of being, I mean, that's in essence, that's 21 days away from home. Mm-hmm. And it's not 21 well, it's days. more than that. Because you're talking 21 weekends. No, tw- three weeks straight is 21 days. It's I'm looking at that one three-week block. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. I got it now. You, you, caught, you caught up with yeah. the rest of the crowd? Yeah, okay. Um, the thought being that and it's not 21 days where you just have to work on the weekend. It's pack up and travel and put down and you're trying to adjust to time zones and keep everything moving. That's hard on a body. Well, for, for there, there shouldn't be much time zone adjustment. Everything should be in the same. Let's talk about some of the notable things from the calendar. Uh, for starters, 
The Super Mario Grand Prix moves up to April 29th. Okay. It will be race number number four coming after uh, Bahrain. Then they, then they go to Barcelona. The we, we do June 10th Montreal, and instead of going to Baku, because that would be stupid, which we've done before, um, that's where we go to France. Circuit Paul Ricard will be the return of that. Um, and then we do that, that three-week back-to-back, going from Paul Ricard in France to Red Bull Ring in Austria, then to Silverstone. Then we get uh, a gap. Actually, yeah, we get a gap for July 22nd at uh, Hockenheim. The other notable one, Sochi moves now back to the fall, mm-hmm. September 30th. And everything else is about the same. We do Sochi, Suzuka, Austin, Mexico City, Interlagos, and in Abu Dhabi. All right. I'm excited to see France come back. I think it's going to be a grueling schedule. It will be. I'm cautiously optimistic about France coming back. Because this is Paul Ricard, which is not the circuit that everybody loves. Paul Ricard is a circuit that is really that that is set up and used a lot for testing. So I'm concerned that instead of the great races that we've seen in the past, we see a lot of Barcelona type stuff. Oh, there's that. So, and then a last bit, and in a way, this kind of ties into the the rumors that we have heard about Patronus, the Malaysian Grand Prix promoter says that they are open to the return of formula one if racing improves oh okay so malaysia could come back and and i i suspect that racing improving is part of it the other is a contract that makes sense i think that's going to be a bigger piece yeah and i think the the real question is how much does formula one group want malaysia on the calendar and I think that's going to be truly dependent on the Patronus dollars. I think you're right. So now we can go watch the race. Can we go watch the race now? Yeah. I want to see the cars spin out and collect their stars and jump over obstacles and maybe take the Rainbow Road. Much much more interesting than the Rainbow Bridge. Um, that makes me cry. So, no, we're not <laughs> doing that. We'll take the Rainbow Road. Maybe they'll fall off the track like I can do Well, every time I ever drive the Super Mario track. No, because as you recall from watching qualifying, the walls are really close. You can't fall off the track. You can just smash into the walls. Truth. Truth. I would overcook a turn. I'm sure of it. Mm. Probably run into the, to What's-Her-Face's castle. Princess Peach? Princess Peach. Yes. All right, let's go see if we can find Mario and Luigi. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is there is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. Whew.